Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Community Radio WERU and Mabel Wadsworth Center, a feminist, client-centered, sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strout. On each show, we speak with local experts to explore issues that impact our sexual and reproductive health. Topics include, but aren't limited to, reproductive rights, access to health care, feminism, LGBTQ rights, and women's sexuality. We wrap up each show with our Ask Mabel segment, where we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions. For more information on Mabel Wadsworth Center or to listen to past episodes, visit MabelWadsworth.org. You can also find Reproductive Left on WERU.org in the archives, on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for tuning in. Good afternoon. We're a little late to the party, but on today's show, we're going to finally discuss the Me Too movement. With me today is Gail Foss, a registered nurse and licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor. Together, we discuss the Me Too movement from the perspective of healing. I want to give listeners a heads up that this is a powerful interview about sexual violence. Gail opens up about her own story and experience. We hope you stay tuned in, but wanted to give you the heads up in case you need to change the station. But please tune back in. We'll end the episode with Ask Mabel, and of course, you'll want to come back to listen to the rest of WERU's programming this evening. Let me start by telling you a little about Gail Foss. She has worked in the field of recovery treatment since 1987. Gail is the former nursing director of Eastern Maine Medical Center's Chemical Dependency Institute. She's the former clinical director of the Hope House and the founder and director of New Dawn Associates. In 1999, Gail closed New Dawn Associates and began a solo practice as Center for Holistic Recovery in Bangor. She has had extensive additional training in treatment of individuals from alcoholic and addictive family systems. She specializes in women's gender abuse, sexual abuse, emotional, cultural, and mental abuse issues which impede recovery. She has been facilitating women's recovery groups since 1991. Hi Gail, welcome to Reproductive Left. Thank you for being on our show today. Well thank you for asking me. We're going to just jump right in, and I'm wondering if you could start by telling our listeners what you do to support women who are healing from sexual violence. One of the most important things I do right off is listen, because one of the, what we can name, we can heal, and what we can heal, we can become strong from. When a bone is broken, it's stronger after it heals. But if we don't care for the wound, the wound festers, the wound becomes, you know, worse. It becomes larger. It becomes debilitating. And so I believe that's true of spiritual and emotional and mental wounds. And so the unspoken festers and causes us to hide, causes us to cower, causes us to crouch down in protection. So the most important thing I do for women or men that come in with sexual abuse issues 
um, is to hear them, to validate them, to honor their courage to come forward and speak their truth from the very soul of their being. Because of all of the boundaries to be violated, sexual abuse violates all of the eight major boundaries. You know, the, the internal, the external, the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, and, of course, the intimacy, the boundaries of intimacy. So it is the one wound that violates all of the boundaries of a person, and it is a deep wound. And really, there's a spectrum of abuse. There are some woundings that are larger than others, but all sexual abuse wounding is equally deep. And that gets lost sometimes. And, and I, when I'm working with women, work with them on that depth. Because it, if you believe in chakras, as I do, it violates all of the chakras. And it violates that sense of containment or what we would call our org protection. It violates that as well. So it interferes with a person's capacity to identify who they are and their identity and their autonomy. Their, their authenticity gets hampered because they begin to hide who they are. And so what I do when someone comes to me is I let them spill. I let them spill. I let them tell their story. And after they've told their story several times, I might ask them, because sometimes when we have that kind of wounding, we don't have the language for the feelings that we feel. And I will mirror back to them some feeling words that may or may not be true for them. And I'll say, you know, this may or may not be true for you, but you look really sad. Tell me about your sadness. And then I let them tell me about their sadness. And you sound really angry. Tell me about your anger, because that's really appropriate. And everything they feel and everything they think, I tell them it's appropriate. And I tell them that may change over time, but it's appropriate right now. This is what you're thinking. This is what you're feeling. And that is who you are. And there, it's a step into authenticity. And it's very powerful. And a lot of time, and I, and I also, one of the most important things is tell them, this is a safe container. This is a sacred container. Sometimes I do ritual with them. Sometimes I'll sage them or do, uh, teach them how to create an altar for their healing. And... Um, so that when they leave me, whatever we've begun to weave doesn't untangle while they're away from me. The Me Too movement is something I wanted to talk to you about because um, for a lot of people, I think they didn't realize how prevalent sexual violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment is in our culture. And so when women started coming forward and naming really respected men, um, men who are idolized by others in our culture, a lot of people were really shocked by this information. Now, as somebody who's been doing this work for years, what was your perspective on it? At last. 
My perspective was at last. I want you to know that in my own story, I was sexually abused by a priest when I was four. I was sexually abused by my father when I was 12. I was raped, violently raped when I was 21. I was pregnant with my daughter at the time. It was a stranger rape, broke into my apartment, and I went through the whole court thing. And he actually, rarely does this happen, but he actually got sentenced. And that was a really big breakthrough. I was living in Illinois at the time, and it was a big breakthrough. But there was no way they could blame me. I was in my home. My doors were locked. I was a professional woman, a nurse, and I was pregnant, and I was married. And so they, there wasn't any way they could label. They could not find any way to hang a name on me that would have diminished the damage that this man did. So he was, he was tried, and he was sentenced. And he was given 10 years with no parole for seven. That's a powerful sentence at that time. So I, um, <clears throat> I have worked with, the, I have also experienced a number of acquaintance rapes, men with power who, uh, who I was naive enough to trust. And I say that I'm naive because today I'm not naive. But that doesn't mean that there aren't men that I trust that I'm naive about. And um, it would be nice if we lived in a culture where there were, there were, there were assurances that men uh, who committed these kinds of violences against women would be held accountable. That it would be, it would be good if we had a justice system that wasn't tilted and slanted against um, the more vulnerable population. The Me Too movement is powerful for the women to finally, women who have finally worked their way up in, in spite of the trauma that they've experienced, they've pushed through the trauma, they've come together collectively and they're telling the story and they're saying, it's not okay. And these women have amassed enough personal power that when they stand up, they have enough collective, especially the collective power, the agreement in this not okayness that makes that voice loud enough to shatter the walls that have kept us from justice. Since the Me Too movement has um, started, have you seen more women coming to you for healing support? I have. Um, I work in a the recovery community, so I have had um, many women that I have known had um, sexual abuse issues that have been fearful of speaking out except in little small places, which there's nothing wrong with that. To speak out is to speak out wherever you can speak out. It takes great courage to publicly say, me too. But what's powerful about that is me too is so powerful and yet it doesn't disclose details, it doesn't put you in jeopardy, it doesn't, um, it's simple, it's humble, and it's powerful. And I have been so proud of them. I've been able to, you know, I might see, see it on Facebook, the me too. It started out on the other one, what's that? 
other social media that's not Facebook. Twitter, maybe? Twitter. Yeah, it started on Twitter with hashtag me too. And um, I'm not on Twitter, but I am on um, Facebook, and I have many, many women on my Facebook book, Facebook pages. And to see them pop up and say me too just made me cry. I was so happy for them. And and the power of that is that um, the first women who did that were very extremely empowered women, women with some wealth, women with some uh, notoriety of their own, powerful notoriety, positive notoriety. And so to step in and say, me too, you know, you had those leaders that were out front and to step into it was like to hold the line for them also, not just for ourselves, which is powerful enough and it's reason enough, but to also join something bigger, to strengthen the line, to, to, to spiritually link arms with other women and, and make that chain of done. I'm done with this. And that's very powerful. Very powerful. And I'm so proud of the ones who have done that. So proud of them. My, all my ladies. I've been working in the field for a long time. And I've had conversations about sexual abuse with, I would say, hundreds of women. And to see some of them come forward. Powerful. I have to say, I also am on social media, and um, when it started to fill my news feed with friends um, mm -hmm. and people I know in the community writing me to, it was this mix of such sadness mm -hmm. and and power, and you know, I know. I am in this movement. I know the statistics, and I have these conversations with my friends. I know how common it is, but to still see that and and see really how many people in my newsfeed were, and those are just the ones willing to say it. Obviously, there were plenty more people who mm -hmm. who weren't comfortable adding me to to their profile, and yeah. um. It came with such a mixed emotion of yeah. why is this happening to all of these women and this great excitement that we're taking a stand together. One of the things that I've loved and has been lovely, and of course I'm in the recovery community, but I'm also in a community of shaman and people who are spiritually... Um, motivated and and how powerful it was to have really wonderful men step in and say thank you for your voice thank you for your service thank you for speaking out you are courageous I honor you and I saw a lot of that and that was very powerful too and I had some men whose wives said me too and they came in and said uh, you know wonderful things about their wives coming forth and so I am um, very 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 happy to be supportive of women who are stepping stepping out of the shadows 
and coming forth because we need their light mm -hmm. and we need the enlightenment that they they have come through and we need the young women who will be and have been and who don't have a voice yet we need strong women models who say this was not okay this is not your fault and uh, come join us come join us give give your truth voice you know let your heart heal let your spirit grow strong and when we speak our truth we grow stronger and you know that old saying the truth will set us free but first it hurts like hell and so you know as soon as we speak our truth all of the emotions that we've been keeping contained in here you know that spills out and so we need to be careful where we speak our truth first so that we have a safe container to let that spill out with people who have no judgment that hold the container and say good I've got time for your tears I have time for your yells I'm not afraid of your anger you are powerful and wonderful and 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 that is that is was what I needed and that is what I try to give to women so, so we've touched on a lot of different aspects so of um, healing and of our justice system and one other thing I wanted to touch on with you is um, how we can change our culture so that this doesn't continue to happen. Um, how, what do you see as things that we can do as community members? Um, what do you think needs to change? Well, <laughs> I think we have to have more and more education. I, I saw this little Facebook film about Africa. And in the African schools, they've got this little experiential exercise where the, these little seven-year-olds are saying, no, don't touch me, and putting their hands up. And, you know, turning around to the boy and saying, you know, the boy will touch him. No, don't touch me. My body is mine. You don't touch without my permission. And the boy backs off and says, I'm so sorry. I apologize. And they're doing these these acting out pieces. And uh, I, I, I think sometimes learning and uh, to keep our hands to ourselves and to teach keep your hands to yourself without permission. I mean, there was a time where it was courtly to say, may I hold your hand? May I... Um, one of the exercises I do with women, because in AA after meetings a lot of times and in Al-Anon a lot of times in the recovery halls, you get hugs after a meeting. And one of the exercises I have for women, I said, you put your hand up when someone comes towards you to hug you. This is an exercise. And you say, um, I'm not hugging right now. I'm practicing boundaries. And so I'd be more than happy to shake your hand. And so, you know, they'll, she'll say, and sometimes he'll say, whichever it is, you know, uh, I'm practicing this. I'm in a group where I'm learning my, about my boundaries. And this space right here is mine. <laughs> you know, and they go forward and, you know, 
I kind of have a reputation and I go, she's seeing Gail. (laughs) But what a powerful practice. And at the end of it, there's two things that happen. One is they can learn to say no. I mean, if you can't say... One of the things that happens is we get robbed of our right to say no in this culture very early. We don't know. We're not taught. Women are not taught how to say no and make it stick. And I don't blame the women uh, because in one of my cases, I said no 10 times and the person persisted. And so teaching boys to hear no, mm. that to hear no, because if you... If if you you're with someone who can't hear no, your yes means nothing. It's it's you've just taken them hostage is all. If you can't hear no, you have taken a hostage. I want to thank you for sharing your story and creating this space for other people mm-hmm. to to share theirs. I think that's some of the most important work done in our in our world today. Um as we wrap up, do you want to give some information on how people can find more info- more information about you and and the support that you offer? Well, I have an office. I am a licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor, and I work with a lot of women who have come from trauma situations. There are other therapists out there that do that. Um, I run groups for women, and we do a lot of work around healing the gender wound and all that accompanies that. My office is at 15 Cross Street, Suite 28, and every Wednesday I do a free recovery drop-in, and that is open. It's free. We sit in a circle, and everybody gets a chance to pick up the talking stick and share what their dynamic issue is, and it is a safe container. And um, I will give you referrals, or if you need more help and you want to see me, that's another way, but it's a good way to come in and just start the process of finding out what you can do to heal. And I will be doing um, a, a healing circle on March 15th at the Mabel Wadsworth Center and in Bangor at 6 o'clock p.m. And so if you're interested in being in that circle, and that's, I believe, a beginning, that's an opening in this area for women to come forth. And we're talking about we have to limit it to a certain number so that everyone can be heard, but we also are open to do more circles and I think it's important for women to come forth, be heard, and hear other women. To, hear the, to tell our stories, to hear the stories, so that when we walk out we know we're not alone. That we know, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. This culture is crazy. You are listening to Reproductive Left. That was Gail Foss, registered nurse and licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor, discussing healing after sexual violence. For more information about the Healing Circle, you can go to MabelWadsworth.org. Welcome to our Ask Mabel segment, where we hear stories from the true experts. 
women who use birth control. Today, we will hear from Bridget. She talks about how she finally decided to use the Mirena IUD as her method of choice. Following Bridget's story, we will sit down with nurse practitioner Lindsay Piper, where she will provide some follow-up information about the method. We know that finding the right birth control isn't always easy. We're here to give you the best information possible to help you on your journey. Do you want to share your experience with others? Contact us at MabelWadsworth.org. I have an IUD. I'm Marina. I got it April of 2015, right? Yeah. I went on the pill when I was 16. I went to my, just my regular practitioner, and we talked about birth control. Um, I had that awkward, so do you need it because you're preventing something, or are you actually having sex right now? So we had the that conversation. She didn't really ask me anything. She just prescribed me one, and we went with it, and it worked really well for about a year and a half, and then it wasn't working for me anymore. I started breakthrough bleeding, and it just wasn't the best method for me. So then I got another pill, which was awful. <laughs> I had really bad mood swings. I was miserable. I cried all the time. It was awful. (laughs) My mom was, like, worried about me. My friends were worried about me. I was just a mess. So I just went off of it completely, which was a big risk, but I just couldn't do it. So I took a break from it. So I actually went to go see a gynecologist. I went to go see someone who was going to be able to actually help me. (laughs) And I went in thinking I wanted another pill because that's what I've been doing. And I was scared of getting an IUD because I just wasn't there yet. She was like, I know you came in looking for a pill, but honestly, I think um, you're young and I think an IUD would be your best bet. Um, She's actually friends with my mother. So she was like, my daughter has one. I have one. Like everyone that comes in here, I try to tell them all the benefits of it. And I was like, oh, okay, might as well go for it. And it's been great. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for being on Ask Mabel. Hello. So Bridget mentioned um, in her description that her clinician really recommended the Marina IUD. Why um, Why are Marinas so great for people to use? Mm-hmm. I think it can be an excellent option for a lot of people. Um, I guess the sheer number of success rates, I think, is probably the overarching reason. Um, so rather than percentages, we could say one in 2,000 people in one year would become pregnant on a method like that, which is very similar to a tubal ligation. So success rates are quite high. Um, By having a device that a patient isn't um, responsible for inserting or taking a pill every day, um, it removes... um, the human error um, that can occur with other methods, and so that's what offers it that um, better number of success. Um, so some some people like to say set it and forget it, <clears throat> and so for people for whom you know remembering something is a barrier, that it could be a great method. Um, and then specific that that's generally with IUDs um, or the other um, longer acting methods, but specifically with Mirena, um, it's also used um, to manage. Um, menstrual symptoms that um, if some people are dealing with heavy cramping or heavy bleeding that is hard for them, um, it will most certainly improve those symptoms. And so um, that can be another reason why it's strongly um, encouraged um, to help people deal with that.
That's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. If you have a question for Ask Mabel, visit our new and improved website, mabelwadsworth.org, and click on Contact Us. Thank you for listening to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio WERU. If you'd like to listen to past episodes, you can find them on WERU.org in the archives or at MabelWadsworth.org. You can also find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or through whatever podcast app you use. Tune in next month at our new time, the first Wednesday of the month at 4.30 p.m. right here at Community Radio WERU, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, or at WERU.org.